Welcome everybody again. If um, if you came in by chance while uh, uh, we got started and didn't get to welcome you, I welcome you. I'm glad you guys are with us uh, here this morning. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, as we get ready to dive into the Word of God, uh, I want to just also mention at this time uh, and bring just a little bit more attention to it. Um, we I, we usually say it uh, pretty quickly um, and in our time of worship, but uh, giving is still uh, uh, an act of worship unto God. And I really want to encourage you uh, to prayerfully uh, seek the Lord about giving generously uh, to the work that he's doing here. Uh, God is doing great things here, and uh, we're excited about it, and uh, we want to praise him for it. Uh, but there's a lot of different avenues that you can give that you see there on the screen. Um, they're available to you in multiple ways in which you can give, but there's also multiple things that you can give to. Uh, one of them being Operation Christmas Child, as we've got that coming up very soon. Um, you've also got... Um, different offerings that'll be available at different times. There's a memorial fund that you can give in honor of somebody. So I just want to make sure that we highlight that uh, because it is a time of worship unto God. Um, Caitlin, if you don't mind, um, will you just adjust the camera uh, a little bit for me? Thank you. Um, all right, so if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts. And in journeying through the book of Acts, we are in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. And if you would like one of those journals, they're up here at the front. Please don't feel weird about getting up and walking up here. You're not going to bother me. Uh, there are plenty of journals available to you here. And one other thing I just want to mention to you is we just got some prayer cards in as well for Calvary New City Church, who we prayed for earlier those prayer cards are right there as well. Uh, if you want to take one of those, put it on your refrigerator or a place where uh, maybe your prayer closet, a place where you spend time in prayer or a place that you visit frequently in your house, just so you have it there. Keep it in your Bible just so you can see it and remember to pray for them. That is available there to you as well. Um, but last week we saw... Uh, through Pastor Walter's preaching, the beginning um, of uh, this story of Paul and Silas. And uh, right when we had uh, looked at it last week, we saw where they were uh, imprisoned. And all of this kind of has been taking place like this big movie sequence, it feels like. I mean, there's a lot of action that is taking place here in this account. And for today's message, I've just entitled it The Gospel's Power Part 2, because it's a continuation of the story that we looked at last week. And we're going to be in Acts 16, 25 through 40. It is a little bit of a lengthier passage. So I'll just have you sit for this part and we'll just address it as we go through each of those sections. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to ask you, I remember when I was a kid, um, in the afternoons, I'd get home from uh, school uh, and go over to my granny and my granddaddy's house, and uh, we'd do our quick schoolwork stuff, and then uh, it was time for us to go into what we called the back room. It was a, an addition that was on the back of my granny's house, and we'd go in there, and my brother Chris and I would go there to watch TV and, and play video games and all of that fun stuff, and there would even be some times maybe if he wanted to watch something and I wasn't interested in watching it, maybe I'd go into my granny's room and sit on her bed and watch the little TV they had in their room. But the big thing that was on in the afternoons for us was like Fox 24 Kids, right? And, you know, I was in, all into the Power Rangers and X-Men and all those fun things. I loved watching that stuff. And I always was like bummed out when it came to a commercial break. Now, granted, it's only like a minute and a half. But, you know, it's like, how many times can you have a, back, a bathroom break? Or how many times can you go to the kitchen to get a snack? Like, uh, get the show back on. Like, I'm hooked into the story. Now, granted, most of those shows at that time were very cheesy, right? We know that now. But, man, I was hooked as a kid. But I remember as those commercials would come on, 
the marketing at that time was just so profound. They, they always had these big commercials that had these questions. And it always asked you this question. It was a way of sucking you in to want to get the product to test out and see if you could answer the question, right? Some of those that I remember, um, what would you do for a Klondike bar, right? Remember that? Am I the only person that remembers that commercial? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Um, sometimes the ad that I would see uh, in some of our school, this wasn't even on TV a lot. This one would be just an ad that I see inside of our notebooks on the random place in the cafeteria at the school, the Got Milk. Remember the Got Milk ads? There's a question there. Uh, what about this one? Can you hear me now? Y'all remember that? Everybody's like, yeah, that's Verizon. And then my favorite, because of the product that it was available to you, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? One, two, three, because the owl would bite it and chew it down. See, all of these asked this question, right? And there were all these questions that you would sit there and you'd be like, man, I, I really would like to know how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I got to go to the store and get some Tootsie Pops. Or man, I, I would do anything for a Klondike bar right now. I got to go to the store and get me a Klondike bar. All those different kind of questions that would be present, right? But then we also think about the questions that we ask in our own lives, Questions like, should we move our kids to private school or homeschool them because of what's happening in the world today? Maybe questions like, where will I go to college? Will you marry me? Should we move mom and dad in with us? A lot of different life stage type questions there. But we all ask ourselves a lot of big questions in our lives. And in today's account from Acts 16, we're going to see where a character in the story, in the account, because it's an actual thing that took place, he asked a very important question. And we see how the gospel's power affects that man. So if you would, let's look at the passage today. Today we're going to see how the gospel's power is greater than any difficult circumstance we may face, has the power to save, and continues to move forward regardless of whatever it faces. So the first point, if you want to take notes, it's the gospel's power in difficult circumstances. The gospel's power in difficult circumstances. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right, so here we are now at this point where uh, we have to remind ourselves of the situation they've been in, right? Verse 23 tells us that uh, they were inflicted with many blows prior to being thrown into the prison. They have gone through beating. They have been embarrassed, and now they've been thrown into the innermost prison, the darkest place of the prison, away from windows, away from all of that. You have to imagine it has to be cold. It has to be damp. It's just not a good place to be. They've already gone through all the beatings and the sufferings. Now they're bound by chains, and they're there in prison. Yet despite the great deal of pain and the suffering and the embarrassment that they've been in and that they faced, and being shackled together there at midnight, they begin to praise God. After everything they had already been through, they are there at midnight and they're singing hymns to God. They're praying unto God. Let me ask an honest question here. No hands. Stop and reflect for a moment. How many of us would be willing to say that we would do the exact same thing in a circumstance like that? You know, it, it, it would be easy for us right now, gathered with the church body, to say, oh yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. And I pray that is our response. 
But man, you gotta imagine everything that they've been through and yet they're still praising God in the midst of the difficulty. Shows the power of the gospel. They choose to pray and worship despite their circumstance. And note here, the very last part of 25, the prisoners were listening to them. They're singing praise to God. The prisoners know they are in the innermost prison. So these guys have had to have done something bad, at least by the standpoint of the magistrates and the people that have thrown them in there. So why in the world are they praying and singing? Why do they sound so joyful? What in the world is wrong with these guys? So they're listening to them. You know, I think about this story, this account, and I'm reminded of James' words in 1, 2 through 3 of his book. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Oh, their faith is being tested here. How on earth does Paul and Silas find joy in the trials of beating and imprisonment? Because they know whose they are. And they know what they've been called to do. They're trusting the one in whom has redeemed them. They're trusting the one whom has been with them through every single thing. And they believe and they trust that he will redeem them, deliver them from the circumstance that they're in right now. Don't miss the importance of our trials and sufferings. You know, we talked about suffering several weeks ago in our question series. They're hard. They're difficult. But in the middle of those trials and the sufferings we face, the world is watching us. The people that we love and we care for that are far from God but close to us, those people are watching. They want to see how we respond to those trials and sufferings. I'm not saying that we're locked in prison, but man, if we're going through something that's very difficult and they know that we're a believer and they they keep that eye out on us even more, they're like, let's see how this person responds. Why are you so happy when everything around you is burning down? Because I have joy in Christ. I know who my Redeemer is. Now, that's not to tell us that we need to be guilted into being some kind of superficial Christians, right? We need to be real. We need to be honest. People are talking with us. Man, my life is difficult right now because of X. But I have hope because in who God is and what Jesus has done for me. We must be authentic. We must pursue Christ. We must love him. We must serve him faithfully because when we do just that, we experience the joy that comes despite the circumstances and the world will notice it. Does this type of faith remind you of maybe anywhere else in the scriptures? You know, I'm reminded of of seeing Paul and Silas' response while they're going through this and I'm reminded of the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are told, you must not worship your God. And yet they stand firm and they say this, Daniel 3, 16 through 19. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered him and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're telling King Nebuchadnezzar straight up, hey, you want to throw us in the fiery furnace? Go on ahead. But we will not, we will not go against our God. And we know from that account that they are thrown into the fiery furnace. The king looks in and he says, I thought I told you to throw three in there. Why is there a fourth? Because there was another in the fire with them, providing the means of their safety to where they walk out and nothing has harmed them. That is the power of our God. That is the power of our God, the one whom Paul and Silas know, hey, we have just been beaten, flogged. We have just been embarrassed. We are here in the innermost prison. Life as it be defined by worldly standards is just in just turmoil. We are bound by chains. Yet we know who our Redeemer is, and we know that he will deliver us some way, shape, or form, even if that is in death and we are in his presence forever. Verse 26 tells us, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. While the worship and the prayer is going on, God responds. God hears the prayers and the worship and he brings about this earthquake providing the release from the chains and the bonds to it. Can you imagine the rest of the prisoners in that moment? Can you? I want to think they're like, what in the world just happened? Meanwhile, Paul and Silas are there with this small little smirk because they know that their God was going to deliver them. They knew that God would show up and show off again. And he does just that. We looked last week, beginning of this account, talking about the gospel's power, and I want to further add to it that it, we must not underestimate the power of the gospel, God's power at work in our lives. We're just not going about in this life and things just happen. We're like, oh, woe is me. This is. No, God is sovereign. God is in control, and God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when things are difficult, when things are hard, remember the gospel's power, despite the circumstances. And praise God in the midst of the circumstances, because the world is watching. You can't imagine the impact you make on a person's life simply by being obedient to God, despite what you're going through. Because they watch, they see and prayerfully God opens avenues, avenues through that for gospel conversations to take place. And you have the share, the ability to share the hope that lies within you. See, God's servants may have been beaten and imprisoned, but they never lost faith and they trust that the Lord was going to deliver them and free them. And we know from this account that there was a bigger purpose for it, which leads to point number two, the gospel's power to save. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. You see, there's this incredible moment. This jailer has awoken 
He, the earthquake startles him. He wakes up and he goes to see what's going on and he sees that all the prison doors are open. And his immediate response is not, I got to find the prisoners. What is going on? His immediate response is, oh no, the prisoners are gone. I've got a very hard thing that I've now got to face with the magistrates. They're going to take my life because I've lost these prisoners. So the best thing that he thinks he can do is draw the sword and take his own life. That is hard. And yet Paul cries out with a loud voice graciously and saves this man's physical life by telling him to stop. We're all here. Nobody has left. Let's read together verses 29 through 32. The jailer called out the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. You see, Paul is already called out, and the man's life has been saved physically. He doesn't kill himself with the sword. But now Paul is providing the means for which he can be saved spiritually. He falls on his knees, and he's trembling. He takes Paul and Silas outside, and he says, Guys, what must I do to be saved? There's the important question. For this jailer, he has just spoken the most important question that he will ever ask in his entire life. He asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? You have to remember, this man has been sitting guard over this prison. He's witnessed these two men that have been beaten, that have been put into the innermost prison. More than likely, he has come there and he has locked the door for them and put them in there. And he's heard the praising. He's heard the prayers. This earthquake takes place and he realizes, wait a second. There's something more than what I've been seeing. There's something more to what these guys have been praying and singing about. It was like the earthquake was the exclamation mark for him. And he says there that the scriptures tell us that he's trembling. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They then proclaim the gospel to the jailer and his house. You see, we can't miss what's happened here, church. The jailer knew why Paul and Silas were beaten in prison. He heard all these things. The testimony of Paul and Silas's life in that moment is what the Lord used to save this jailer and his household. Do not imagine, don't miss this. Imagine what God will do with our testimony. Paul and Silas' testimony is huge before these people, before these prisoners, before this jailer. It's huge. The example of their lives is what gave the opportunity for the, the jailer of the prison to say, what must I do to be saved? 
You see, the example of our lives demonstrate to those far from Christ, but close to us, and gives the opportunities for us to proclaim the gospel to them. I'm going to say that again. The example of our lives demonstrate to those far from God, but close to us, and gives us the opportunities to proclaim the gospel to them. The scriptures are clear to us. Faith comes from hearing the word. But the Lord, a lot of the time, will use the demonstration of our life of obedience to him to open the door for proclamation. It is this church family right here, this example of how we will fulfill the great commission in this generation. We will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we will love the people that are around us. They will see the good news of the gospel demonstrated in our lives, and we will proclaim it. And God will use those things to further his kingdom. How can you be so sure, Pastor Brian? Well, God's done it for 76 years here. And God's done it century after century after century from his word. All it takes is devoted followers of Jesus, despite the circumstances, to say, have your way, world. Do whatever you may do. I follow the Lord. I will do whatever he wants me to do. I will demonstrate it to a lost and dying world, and I will proclaim it at every cost and every opportunity that he gives me. We have plenty of opportunities in our daily lives to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to those in our circles of influence and accountability. We just have to be obedient to do it. Verse 33 reads, He took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. We see the compassion of the jailers shown to Paul and Silas here. He's reciprocated this compassion. Remember, Paul cried out, hey, don't do that. We're all here. Paul showed that compassion and love towards them. And now he, as a new brother in Christ, takes them, loves on them by cleansing their wounds. Helping them in this moment. And we see that the jailer and his family are baptized Let's just very quickly recap some of the emotions that we've seen take place so far. The jailer's terror in seeing the prison doors opened. The concern of Paul to cry out to the jailer to stop. The fear and trembling of the jailer asking how to be saved. Hearing the good news and the gospel being proclaimed to he and his family. The care of the jailer to Paul and Silas to clean their wounds. And the joy of Paul and Silas to baptize these new family members. To welcome them into the family of God. And then look at 34. The emotions and the joy doesn't stop there. He brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The emotions don't stop because they sit there around the table This is how we know they were good Baptists, right? They sat around the table and they enjoyed some food together. They share this meal together and they rejoice. They rejoice. See, the gospel has the power to save. It happened for this jailer. 
Lastly, number three, the gospel's power to move forward. The gospel's power to move forward. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Now, we don't know a specific reason as of why, but daybreak comes and the magistrate said, all right, it's time to let them go. Let them out. Read 36 and 38 with me through 38. The jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent me to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do, not now, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid And they heard that they were, when they heard that they were Roman citizens. See, the news comes to Paul and Silas from the jailer. You think that they'd be excited to go. Let's get out of here. Let's do this. And Paul is like, no, 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 not so fast. No. See, Paul's issue here is the secrecy of releasing them after the public humiliation. Remember, they're Roman citizens, so they shouldn't have been beaten like they were. And Paul is understandably frustrated here, and he demands for the magistrates to come and escort them out themselves. And the news gets back to these magistrates, and they realize, "Uh uh-oh, we made a mistake. They may say, well, wait a minute, so... So Paul's just frustrated that they were humiliated and they, they want to get back to him. No, no, no. Paul has a further concern in mind. We're going to see that in a moment. Verse 39. So they, come, they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they go, they make, in, they make amends to Paul and Silas and they go to escort them out to leave. He might ask, I told you a minute ago that Paul had a different concern in mind. Why, why did Paul need them to escort him out? What was the purpose for this? Well, biblical scholar Tony Morita gives an excellent reasoning for this from his commentary. He says, and it's on the screen for you, Paul did it to ensure the safety of the church he was leaving behind in Philippi. By showing that he and Silas had done nothing wrong and that Christianity was no threat to the Roman way of life, Paul helped the church's relationship with the Roman authorities. He wanted to make sure the church had a good reputation and to protect it from future harassment. See, Paul didn't want to get back at them for what they had done to them. No. Paul wanted the church that he was going to be leaving behind because Paul had to continue on his journey that God had called him to. He wanted to ensure that the church that is now established in Philippi would be able to go about doing the work of ministry. Paul wasn't concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about Silas in that moment. He wasn't concerned about Luke, Timothy. He was concerned about the saints in Philippi because he wanted the gospel power to be known to that entire region. Look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and they had seen the brother, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. Maybe times in your reading plans, if you get to this passage, you may read that verse and be like, okay, that's cool, and you kind of read through it. But don't miss what that verse tells us. See, over the last three weeks, we've looked at the tail end of 15, chapter 15. And all of chapter 16 concluding today. And in this, we've seen the call to Macedonia. We've seen the obedience to answer the call. 
And we've seen the results of what happened when they arrived. Note this. Prior to the call to Macedonia, there was no gospel presence in Philippi. If you remember, they were setting out and they were going to two different locations and the Holy Spirit directed them away from those places. And Paul had the vision of the man from Macedonia saying, please come. Please come. And they knew that that was a call from God because the Holy Spirit had already directed them elsewhere. And they went. There was no gospel presence prior to answering that call. However, because of Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, all being there, because of Paul and Silas answering that call, their obedience has now shown us that there's a church in Philippi that's gathered. In this moment, Paul is even worried about the church right now. In verse 40, because it says even before they leave, they visit with Lydia. They spend time with the brothers, they encourage them, and they departed. Paul even encourages them in that moment. You got to wonder what, what, what was happening in that encouraging moment, right? Guys, let me tell you what happened. We met Lydia. Lydia is now a follower of Jesus. You know her. We met this slave girl that was possessed. She's no longer possessed. Her life has been transformed. Hey, this is the jailer from the prison who now knows Jesus. This is his household that now knows Jesus. Prior to the arrival, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, his family, all of them probably really spent no time together. Now they're a part of the family of God together. And what did it take for them to be part of the family of God together? It took the obedience of Paul, Silas, to say, yes, Lord, we'll go to Macedonia. It took the obedience of them to go, to be wrongfully beaten, to be wrongfully imprisoned in order for the jailer to hear the gospel. You can't tell me that there's times in our lives when our suffering isn't used for the glory of God and for the spreading of the gospel. Because it is. We have a prime testimony of it right here. Let me encourage us. Never doubt the power of what the gospel can do. Never take it for granted. The Lord has called each of us, just like he called Paul, to fulfill the Great Commission. Are we obedient to that call? Paul would later write to the beloved church at Philippi in the opening of his letter in Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making all my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, as he writes that letter, is reflecting upon, while he's sitting in Roman prison, 
what God did at the church of Philippi for it to start. And he's praising God for what he's been doing and what he will do. I want to just challenge you and ask you, I've asked you like two other times during this message, are we obedient? Are we answering the call? You see, because the Lord has not just asked us a question. He's given us a command. Have you chosen to join the mission? If your answer is no, I got good news. You can. There's a variety of ways that you can join the mission of what God is doing. Let me ask you another question. Have you joined the family of God? Do you know that you know that you know that when your last breath is taken here on earth, you will be in the presence of the Lord forever? Do you understand the weight of what Jesus took to the cross to die for the sins of you and I? If you don't, maybe today's the day of salvation for you and you want to talk with somebody and pray with somebody. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, I'm going to have a moment of quiet reflection for us to stop and to, to pray and reflect. And then I'll lead us in a prayer and we'll get up here and we'll sing a song. And I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know, today really may be the day of salvation for me. I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you say, man, I just need somebody to pray with me. Will somebody be willing to pray with me? I'm going to give you two opportunities for that. Pastor Walter isn't here to assist me with this, so I've asked my mom and dad. They'll be over at the back corner over there. If you need somebody to pray with, go back there and pray with them. Just take the opportunity to get up and go and pray. We'd love to pray with you, to encourage you during this time. If you're online with us and, and you want to reach out, you can go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact. It'll be a way for you to be able to reach out to us and we'll be able to follow up with you and pray with you and encourage you. But whatever it is that you need to respond in obedience with, respond now. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good. But I thank you, God, for the power of the gospel. I thank you, Lord, that you have provided the means of salvation to us, all who would repent and believe. Because your love for your creation, though we sinned against you, is powerful, it is unwavering. To many, it's unheard of that you would send your only begotten son to die for those who sinned against you. But God, you've done that. And Lord, we can't help but say thank you for that. Lord, I pray over these next few moments, Lord, as we sing this song, yet not I, but Christ in me. Lord, let that truly be the, the cry of our heart. Lord, I pray for us in this room. If there is somebody in this room or listening online that doesn't truly know the power of the gospel because they haven't experienced it in their own lives, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would reach out, that they would ask for prayer, they would ask questions of what it means to follow Jesus, to what it means to truly have your life flipped upside down for the glory of God. 
Lord, maybe for those of us in here or listening online that are followers of Jesus, Lord, maybe we've gotten off track. Lord, maybe we've lost sight of the mission, and Lord, we say, I need to get back engaged and join the mission. Lord, whatever it is, God, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us right now. For the glory of your name, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.